Welcome to the Women in Work podcast. If you are a regular listener here, you may notice that I am not Courtney Moore or Missy Branch. My name is Courtney Powell, and I serve as the Director of Ministry Content for Women in Work and oversee all of our ministry initiatives. For this summer season, we are doing something a little bit different. One of our initiatives is our Women in Work book club, where we choose a book to read together as a community, and at the close of our reading, we interview the author of the book that we've read together. Those conversations were live and people could submit questions during the discussion, which you'll hear a little bit of at the end of this episode. For this season, we will be posting five of our previous book club conversations for you to enjoy. This first episode is with pastor and author J.D. Greer for his book, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? Courtney Moore and I interviewed him right on the heels of some difficult and painful things happening within the Southern Baptist Convention in regards to leaders and women, and he was president at the time of this interview. We discussed some of these things with him on this episode, and in light of that cultural moment for us, much of this conversation revolved around women's giftings and how they can be used and celebrated within the church. J.D. is a pastor at the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the Summit is known for its emphasis on the Great Commission and living on mission, so that is a common thread throughout this episode as well. The primary heart of this episode is, how can you leverage your giftings to count for eternity? We hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, you guys, we are live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Women in Work's fourth live author Q&A as part of the Women in Work book club. We are so glad you're here. We're so happy to welcome Pastor J.D. Greer. Welcome, J.D. Thank you so much for having me. Tonight, we are going to be discussing his most recent book, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? So, J.D., you this is our fourth book, actually, but you are our first male author. Mm. So, that's going down in the history books. <laughs> that's pretty I'm not going to lie. <laughs> our first book that we read was um, by Elise Fitzpatrick. Well, we did have Eric, Eric Shoemaker. I, how did I oh. forget about Eric? I can't forget about Eric. Sorry, Eric. Uh, we read Worthy, Celebrating the Value of Women. That was our very first book club read. And then we read A Holy Pursuit by Diane Jago and then Made for More by Hannah Anderson. Guys, go to our website on, website on the book club uh, tab there. Go all the way down to the bottom and you can catch every one of those interviews. Um, you, we know you'll be encouraged by it. Those okay. Books, by the way, I'm actually even more intimidated after you just got through with that list. I, first, after I published the very first book, I was at a conference with Elise Fitzpatrick, who I consider to be one of the best Bible teachers of our generation, either gender. I mean, just she is fantastic. And so they did a book signing afterwards. And for all you aspiring authors out there, never, ever agree to a book signing if you're with somebody like Elise Fitzpatrick. Because after the conference goes, it's I mean, it was one of the most embarrassing moments. There's a table and me and her at it. And I'm telling you, her line, I mean, it went as far as the eye could see. It was people lined up to get a book signed. And I... Literally, was sitting at the table talking to people in her line. I mean, <laughs> occasional person like drip by, and I'd be like, "Hey, you want a free book? And let me sign it for you." So, anyway, those are some great books. Oh yes, yeah, honestly, we love her. Yeah, we love her. It was a great conversation, but we're excited about our conversation with you. So, before we jump into the the hard stuff, tell us a little bit about you, just where you live, where you pastor. Tell us a little about your family. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my most important assignment, obviously, is I'm married to Veronica, and we've been married for 20 years. We celebrated 20 years in the midst of COVID. So uh, the big um, anniversary trip that we had planned, we weren't able Mm. to. 
Um, but it's coming and we got four kids. My oldest is um, actually my wife right now is taking her on a trip to um, visit one of the schools that she's been accepted into. Uh, she's uh, 18. And so we got our first one that's leaving and that's going to be quite a, um, I'm not sure it's going to be harder on mom and dad, but I'm betting dad right now, just based on my emotional state. Um, and then I have a, um, a 16 year old and then a, um, a 13 year old and an 11 year old. And so three little girls and a boy, um, that's our, our house. Um, I am current and pastor of the summit church. I've also been pastor of that for two decades, uh, which is here in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. I understand your husband, uh, is, is a, uh, a Chapel Hill fan, which is, uh, well, just makes me feel right at home, but uh, <laughs> a diehard fan. Yes. March Madness is a crazy time around our church. It really tests the bounds of unity because UNC Duke and NC State <laughs> are all right here. And uh, we have a lot of uh, college students that go to our, our church, um, a disproportionate amount of our people on the weekend are college students, which actually speaks a little bit as to why I wrote the book, because we got a lot. Well, I always say two things about our church. Number one, we're dirt poor as a congregation. I mean, relatively speaking, because College students bring a lot of things to a church, but money is not one of them. Right. Um, right. In fact, I remember in between um, two of our services, one of the ushers brings back an offering bucket. And in the offering bucket is a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit from McDonald's from a college student. Uh, I'm not kidding. <laughs> a little note on it that says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give uh, to you. Um, That's amazing. We don't have a lot of money as a church, but we have a lot of people that are asking questions about, hey, you know, I want my life. This is a very cause-driven generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, millennials, or I don't know how you classify everybody, but millennials and Gen, um, Gen Z, and and um, even the and, the and the rising generation are very cause driven, and so they, they want their lives to count. Um, so that's the church I pastor. I also currently, as as uh, as Courtney mentioned a moment ago, I serve as president of the Southern Baptist Convention right now. Um, I'm on my third year, uh, which is not supposed to happen, but. COVID made a lot of things that aren't supposed to happen, happen. So um, Lord willing, I will finish that in June. Um, if not, my wife might leave and never come back. Um, <laughs> but it's been such a joy to serve um, 40, like 47,000 Southern Baptist churches around the nation and and to really sense the, the unity. I know it's a strange thing to say if you pay attention to social media, but social media and the reality of the communities and the churches are not the same. Mm-hmm. And I've been very encouraged by what God is doing and, and, and what the, and the future he has for us. So anyway, I'm grateful because uh, to be here, I, I'll, I'll tell you one last thing is um, one of the first uh, conversations I had with a publisher um, was I'd written my first book and he, he said, uh, the publisher was a little team of him. And he said, he said, you know, JD, we really sense that you're a gifted writer for men. You really write well to men. And I said, Oh, well, thank you. He said, the problem is that 80% of people who buy books are women. And so he's like, you're just not. And so I've had to lean on my wife a lot, who is a great reader and writer in her own right. Just, um, you know, saying, Hey, help me think about, about how these concepts translate. So what a joy to be with you and your community here. And, and thanks for having me. Wow, that is wild. I've never heard that statistic before. That is wild. Yeah. Well, um, 84.7% of all statistics are made up on the spot. but <laughs> So you could have just made all that up. It's fine. I could have, but I think it's true. Um, okay, you talked about this a little bit, you know, that part of how, why you wrote this book is because you have so many college students, but can you tell us a little bit more? You, t- you actually talk about this in the intro, but can you tell us just kind of briefly, like what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, I mean, it really is that question of of how do you how do you have a life that counts for eternity? Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, um, we throw around the phrase um, that changed my life a lot, 
And I, I think mostly we don't really mean it, but from the perspective of a decade or two, you can a lot of times see what really changed your life. And there was a, a sermon that John Piper preached when I was in college mm. that I say changed my life because it, it was called Don't Waste Your Life. It became the book, Don't Waste Your Life. And he talked about the tragedy of living in a way that accomplished, let's just say the American dream and everything that you'd wanted, you know, um, you know, for me, a, a wife and a family and a close knit family and, uh, you know, enough money to feel comfortable and go on some nice vacations. And mm-hmm. what if you got all that and you get to the end of your life and there's just nothing that really counts for eternity. And I, they just haunted me. And so I began to make decisions for my life based on that. And then as I began to pastor, I realized um, two things that I had, um, one thing in particular that I assumed for many years, it was just not correct. And that is that the calling of God to use your life for the great commission for eternity. Um, I always kind of thought of that as like a special, a special calling that God gave to a few of, of us in like this mystical moment, you know, where you're, you writes it in the sky or you're staring in your Cheerios and he spells it out. And as I really studied, you know, the scripture and I, I preached to the scriptures, I realized that the calling to leverage your life for the great commission is not a mystical moment. It's it was included in the call to follow Jesus. He said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men, which means when you accepted the call to follow Jesus, you accepted the call to leverage your life for mission. And so, um, you know, I started to say to our congregation, the question is not if you're called, the question is really where and how. And when you begin to ask that question, um, the answers that you encounter in scripture are, are different. Meaning if you're looking for Jim Elliott, the the famous missionary used to say, we're always waiting for a voice when God has given us a verse. God is not going to use all of us in full-time professional ministry to preach or write blogs or lead worship. But Mm -hmm. every single one of us has, um, whether it's giftings or an assignment that he is using us to to matter for eternity. And um, that leads to the second, you know, kind of the, the reason um, what really was on my heart in this is I alluded to it at the beginning is that this generation is so cause driven. I mean, it, you know, it's everything from, you know, a, a business that gives back to um, ending injustice to, you know, saving the planet from plastic straws. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to make light of that because I mean, a lot of those things are worthy goals, but if you believe what the Bible says about the gospel of all the causes to be devoted to, the gospel cause has to be the, the greatest of all. And then we, we want to end suffering and that's good, but eternal suffering is, mm-hmm. is the, the gravest kind of suffering there is. And so if you want a life that counts, it's a life where you have thought about your life from the perspective of the end and reordered, reordered your talents, your gifts, every assignment you have in light of how does this, how is this contributing to the kingdom of Jesus and the great commission? Yeah, that's really great. Right. And just when you talked about, it's not, if you are going to be about the Great Commission, it's really where. And I think that is what women in work is really all about. Mm-hmm. Really leveraging your work as women, your calling for the Great Commission. And so um, we, you know, we're, we're all about that. We want to see women express or just demonstrate, not just obviously the gospel. We want to share the gospel with our coworkers, but we also want to demonstrate just his character, who he is, image who he is to coworkers or our children in our home, if that's our calling. So the next question I really have for you has to do with that. 
Um, some women, um, some would say, what would you say rather to those women who feel torn or they feel a little bit of angst between working outside of the home in the marketplace versus their work in the home? You know, can women, here's really the question, can women actually be faithful to the Lord um, in both of these areas? And how, as a pastor, would you encourage women um, in both of those areas? Yeah, great Great question, um, and I want to just affirm. I mean, there's there are there there are a few callings that I could think of that are more wonderful and exalted than the task of of bringing up children to know and, and love God. I mean, that's I mean, I would never want to do anything that's um, that denigrated that or disrespected that or lessened its importance. As if like, oh well, you know, I didn't I didn't really get a career, so I had to do this. My wife. Um, scored higher in the SAT than I did. She went to a more prestigious college and it's just all around a smarter person. Um, she has chosen with a great degree to stay home for um, and, and, and walk away from her career to do, to, to raise her children and to, uh, to be in the home. Of course she serves in the church, but um, you know, that's her primary responsibility. So I wouldn't want to do anything that would, would, would disrespect that. Um, but I also understand that God gives to women, both natural and spiritual gifts that many of which the applications are outside the home. I mean, even in, in the famous Proverbs 31 passage, um, you're finding a lot of those gifts are being exercised through the home, you know, outside the home. And um, I know that just as a man can uh, fulfill his responsibilities as father and provider, he can do that. And he can also um, develop those gifts. I know there are ways that women, while balancing this responsibility, if they're married to be a wife and mother, um, they can also um, develop those gifts for the, for the glory of God. Um, uh, one of the things we say around our church is that every spiritual gift that God has um, given to men, he's also given to women. Now, um, we don't believe they use them in all the same ways. Uh, the, the idea of, they call it, you know, complementarianism, which I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with, means that God created men and women equal, but he gave them different roles to play, particularly in the church and the home. Um, so they don't use the gifts in all the same way, but they're all available um, to women. And that means there are women that are gifted to teach and to lead and to discern and the gifts of administration and, and all those things. And um, there are incredible opportunities for those. And I will just say that um, I think it's a, um, a tragedy in, um, in churches where churches in the name of good theology um, have um, overplayed the hand of the roles and ignored some of the incredible gifting that God has put into um, our sisters in Christ. And to mm -hmm. think about the role, um, the, the church is a better and more healthy church when both men and women are, are using those gifts in the way that God, uh, God designed them. And so um, I feel like our church is playing catch up on this a little bit. Honestly, uh, we looked around and realized that, um, that we had, it's not that we ever discouraged women from developing their gifts, but we just made it really easy for men. Mm. You know, if you were a man and you had the spiritual gift, like boom, you know, internship and development program, we just didn't, it wasn't intentional, but we just didn't have the same development opportunities for our sisters. And, um, so several years ago, we, 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 we changed that and, and, uh, and we're still growing in it, but it's been, it's, our, our church is so much richer as a result of those, those gifts flourishing. I, I'll say one last thing, Courtney, and that is, um, you know, when, when scripture talks about these roles, certainly the way that God created men and women has implications for society, but, um, kind of the, 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 the limits, the role, the role limits, they, those really are the church and the home. And so, um, you see a lot of women that, um, especially if they remain single, not only if they remain single, but especially, 
Um, they've got, you know, it's like Paul said, you, you have some opportunities when you don't have um, duties in the home to be able to really um, use some of those gifts. One of the most valuable ladies on our staff is um, a single, she's a vice president from a, um, a bank that felt a calling and our church was forever different because of the way that she leveraged those gifts and the insight that she brought, the wisdom that she added. Well, and just to follow that up before we move on to the next question, I feel like too, the question is, it really assumes that you're talking about a married woman whose husband can provide. You mentioned the single women, but you also have divorced women or widowed women who are raising children. So, you know, we want to see those women flourish just like you talked about. And I feel like sometimes even that question, I mean, I, I feel like we needed to ask it because so many women want to want to answer that question. But, um, you know, there's such uh, a Unfortunately, we made people choose between what the Bible teaches about the roles in the home and the church. And we've chosen that between that and really developing and flourishing as a woman in whatever capacity. And we should never have to choose that. We ought to be able to take both of those and say, I always use Deborah as my example, because Deborah in the Old Testament was a woman who um, she operated according to God's design. Like, I mean, there were things that she said, I, I won't do that because that's not the role that God's given me. But she was a woman. She was the wisest woman in Israel and one of the most influential leaders. And that's because because God has a role for people like Deborah and we need more Deborahs in the church. That's right. Yeah, man, that's really encouraging. And that is the number one question that we get here is women that they, they, their desire is not necessarily fame. I mean, obviously all of us have that propensity in us, you know, to build our own kingdom. You actually talk about that in the book, but who really desire to be faithful in both areas. And they feel like they've been put in a position where they have to choose marketplace or home. And there are seasons of life where it does require that, but, um, it's encouraging to hear you affirm that God has gifted us in different ways, different capacities, all these things. Um, so you talked a little bit about the myth of calling earlier, you know, just that we're all called to the great commission. And so kind of in that same vein, our next question is at the very end of the book, oh my goodness, you tell these stories about, men and women who have experienced just great suffering for the sake of the gospel and lives that one of the stories you talked about, you know, a life that would be considered culturally like a waste, you know? Um, but can you give us, this is kind of a two part. Can you give us some examples of areas where you specifically see women that have leveraged their giftings and seasons of life for the great commission? And then kind of like a part two to that is where are areas specifically for women that you think that this could happen even more, that you could see even more women leveraging the seasons of life they're in, the giftings that they have for the Great Commission? Oh, wow. Yeah, awesome question. Well, the two stories I tell at the end in particular that are about women, one is about a girl that I call Clara. Uh, it's not her actual name, but she actually was with the IMB and um, International Mission Board. And she just sensed that. I mean, we have plenty of need in America and lots of people here need Jesus, but she, her heart moved for a people group in the world that had, you can safely say no access to the gospel. And so she joined a team, by the way, um, the most recent statistic from the international mission board is that the female applicants to those hard places outnumber the male applicants four to one. Wow. Four to one. And so when I say that to men, I get, a little angry, but to you, I want to say most of you, considering most of you are, are ladies here, thank you. Thank you for taking 
like the Great Commission seriously. And I just think about where our church would be if it weren't for faithful sisters uh, in Christ. But anyway, so Claire does that. And she, it really is the heartbeat of the book, um, Courtney, is, is that it's that is that where you got to get a job somewhere. So why not get a job in a place where God's doing something strategic? Of all the different things that go into where you pursue your career, there's nothing wrong with, you know, where you can make money, where you've always wanted to live, where your family is. That's fine. But why wouldn't the largest and weightiest of those factors, why wouldn't it be the Great Commission? Mm-hmm. And Claire is an example of somebody who, who, who said, I, I, could, I could pursue my career a lot of places, but I'm going to put the kingdom of God first. And hers led her to a place over um, very dangerous, very far away. I think a lot of women could ask that question and end up, you know, in places right not far from where they live. But the point is they put the kingdom of God first and said, I'm going to be in a place where I can leverage these gifts and these opportunities, these moments in ways that count for eternity. Um, the second, one of the other stories I told was about a woman who, um, uh, she would never have chosen this, but God assigned her a, a role of suffering. She, as a mother of four young kids, two that she'd adopted, um, was told that she had a, a degenerative disease in her eyes and that within a couple of years, she would be, be completely blind. And rather than doing what, well, quite frankly, I would have done, and that is starting the God, why me? I look at all this stuff. I've how faithful I've been. And what about my kids? She, you know, she just said, God, I know that you appoint everything as an instrument for your glory. And this is not about my story. It's about yours. And if I can give more glory to you by, by telling everybody that you're better than physical sight, then that's what I'll do. And here she now has a, a thriving, um, not only thriving family, but just thriving ministry, both formal and informal, just influencing people to say that Christ is better than any, any type of physical suffering. And I just think, I mean, that's not the kind of assignment that sends you overseas and some you know, huge thing. It just means faithfulness where you are, giving God glory in whatever you do. Um, so, I mean, those were a couple examples of, I think, people who are, um, who, who are women specifically who are living that way. You had a second part of that question. I want to make sure I get yeah, it. Yeah, right. the second part is, where are some areas that you think that, um, specifically for women, that you feel like you would like to see this type of thing happening even more, maybe even locally in their own communities or areas in which maybe there aren't many women that are in some of these roles, but you want to see growth in those areas. Like what are things where, yeah, where areas specifically for women that you want to see this type of um, just great commission focus happen even more? Yeah. Um, Well, let me, (laughs) Um, it's probably ironic for me to do this on a discussion about my book. Let me recommend another book um, that I actually reference in what are you going to do with your life? It's Rosaria Butterfield's um, hospitality. Uh, the, the gospel comes with a house key. Mm. And um, it's, you know, I think it really, of all the books that I've ever used with our church on how to actually use opportunities and giftings for the gospel, the one that I got the most response of, particularly from, um, from ladies was, was, um, uh, Rosaria's gospel comes with the house key because she, and now she has a crazy story. She was a former, um, professor of women's studies in queer theory at, at Syracuse. And she was a lesbian herself and God miraculously saved her. But she just talks about how she took these gifts that she had in hospitality and serving. And it's just everywhere she goes, that's, that's the house key that she uses to open up, you know, to the gospel. That's a, an area I think if people, because most of us, whether we work or not, we've got a, a neighborhood. I'm sitting here in my home and, and um, all my neighbors around me, I, I'm the one that usually 
picks up on their needs more quickly. I'm the closest to them, even the ones I don't know super well. Mm-hmm. How can I show the love of Christ that way? She just gives a very practical way. When it comes to the, to the workplace, um, well, quite honestly, I think a lot of the work that y'all are doing is really good on this to say, um, what's it look like to be a strong Enneagram 8 woman in the workplace who is leveraging that and using that um, it's a way to, to, to bring glory to God, to do excellent work. Um, I thought of this a moment ago, but one of, one of the verses I, I anchor one of the chapters on and in, 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 in what are you going to do with your life is Proverbs 29, where it says, do you see um, a person that is skillful in their work? I'm telling you, that person will stand before kings. Yeah. And, and what, what he's saying is like, I can't get before the king. I mean, I, can't, I don't know how many times I ask. I'm like, but, but there are people that are so skilled at what they do that their, their gifting takes them in, in, in influential places and they can, take, they can take the Lord Jesus with them. And uh, I'd like to see more women, um, you know, that become, I use the little example of Deborah, but it might be, you know, leaders of companies, um, government leaders, Supreme Court justices. And they say, I'm going to stand before kings because of the excellence of the work that I do. And I'm going to give glory to God when I get there. Yeah, gosh, that's a great answer. Yeah, we love that. We love that, J.D. (laughs) Well, over in chapter nine, I mean, guys, if you haven't, let me just interject right here. If you haven't read this book, you need to grab it. We're putting the link in the Facebook comments. It's all over our website. You need to grab this book. You're going to just be so encouraged to live your life for the gospel um, in any sphere you're in. But in chapter nine, you talk about um, some risk involved in that. And um, just how radical obedience to Christ can often lead to some conflict between you and your family or you and even some religious leaders. You say in there, here's just a little tiny quote and a really great paragraph. But um, the quote was, some will act like when you obey him, you're actually betraying them. And so kind of going back to some of the similar themes that we've already talked about, what would you say to women who feel um, that God has called them to do something, but it, it doesn't prescribed to the typical norm, perhaps in their family or their church. Um, and they're feeling that, no, God has really called me to this. This is how I sense the Lord leading me. People have affirmed this in my life. He's given me the determination to keep moving forward and he's providing opportunity, but yet they're feeling um, a little bit scorned or shamed by their community. Um, how would you encourage them to keep pressing forward, even though it's really not it's not what everyone around them thinks she should be doing. Yeah. Well, Courtney, I love the, the subtle little caveat you, you threw in there that I think is very important. And that is, you said, I've had other people speak into this. It's been affirmed in me because none of us need to get to a point where we're above. Mm-hmm. More havoc has been wreaked in the world following the words God just told me than any other phrase in human history. Right. right. And so just because it's in your heart doesn't mean it's what God wants. And so I, God wants all of us, men, women, or whether we've been to seminary or not, to, to submit our self-judgment about what God has called us to, to a local church. I'm not saying the church can't ever be wrong because they can be, but I know that, um, that my, first, my first action is to say, hey, I need you to speak into this and I need to be ready. God said to the church, separate Barnabas and Paul for the ministry. And, and, and he does the same thing today. But I, what I hear in your question is, after you've been through that process and you've had the right counselor speak into it and to to the best of your knowledge, you're humble and you're seeking wisdom and you still got people that are, you know, looking askance and saying, nah, you know, I just don't, don't see this. Um, I I don't mean to be, you know, blunt or harsh with this, but uh, yeah, I want to say, well, welcome to the club. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, 
Um, every significant person God calls in the Bible, man or woman, faces a whole line of people who say, you? I mean, David, you're the runt. No, God can't use you, know, use you in that. Um, I mean, the apostle Paul couldn't get somebody, a Christian, to take him into his home to save his life. You know, and they're like, yeah, I don't even think you're really a Christian. And, 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 and all these, these, it's one of the most painful realities when you feel like the people that should be your biggest advocates oppose you. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I mean, I, I felt it in different spheres. I'm thinking of a couple right now. And it just is like, Lord, they were supposed to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you recognize, again, if you've done it with godly counsel, you recognize um, this is just what God has called me. There's a, um, a verse that sort of became a theme verse for me this past year. It's um, the first book I preached through after we went into lockdown was um, the book of First Peter. And there's a little phrase in there where Peter says, talk about suffering. And he says, but you were called to this. Mm-hmm. That, that, that phrase is just, oh, I mean, I feel like I've been through a lot of things this last year where like it's unfair this opposition and that, that verse will pop up again in my heart, but you were called to this. You weren't just called to succeed. I, I love to be called to succeed. I love, you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing this thing. I'm like, I was called to this. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But, but somebody will say something unfair about me tomorrow. And the Holy Spirit will say, you were called to this because you're following in my steps. And this is how, this is how I prepare my servant. So um, endure it. God will give you grace and keep pressing forward. That's a great answer. Thank you. That's really encouraging. That is okay. So we're going to ask this question, but before I ask this question, I want to clarify some things we've already mentioned. Okay. So you've already explained. You've already explained what complementarian theology is. So just to kind of go over that again, it's that God created men and women equal, but distinct. Yep. And so I want to just say, these are our assumptions going into this question. I just want to make sure we're really, really clear that our assumptions in this question, it's going to be about Beth Moore, is that Beth Moore has affirmed the just the basic principles of complementarianism that we just mentioned, and that the office of pastor elder is reserved for men, and that um, men are the you know the head of their household. And there's a whole lot more that can be said about complementarianism, but those are kind of the premises that we're basing this question off of. And so I, I realize that there are a lot of people that would debate one way or another, that's not what we're doing though. So we're, we're going into this question with that assumption. So what would you say? We have had a lot of women that are feeling extremely, extremely discouraged, um, by Beth Moore's treatment within, and then ultimately her departure from the SBC. So what would you say to women who maybe they feel a pull towards that? Maybe they have the gifting and they feel like they're called vocationally to serve within their church or even serve within the Southern Baptist convention, but they just don't know what, they don't know how to reconcile that with what happened to Beth Moore. They feel like theologically they check the boxes, but you know, it seemed like she checked the boxes too. And ultimately the way that she was treated online, um, just some of the Twitter wars and things like that, it's, it's been really discouraging for women. So what would you say, what would you say to women that are feeling that right now? Um, I would say, first of all, I, um, I regret that that has been Beth's experience. Beth over the last um, few years has become, I, I, I think I could call her a friend and she's encouraged me in some very, difficult times. And I, I hope that God used me as an encouragement to her. I was um, disappointed that um, in our convention, she did not feel at home. 
I know that there are a number of very gifted ladies like, um, well, like the two I'm sitting here talking to on this, that, um, you know, you're very gifted as well. And, um, you know, I know that's, uh, you know, right now I'm hoping that your experience of leadership is going to be different and your experience is. And, um, unfortunately the Southern Baptist president's not a, not a miracle worker. <laughs> and fortunately he's not a, you know, he or whoever it is doesn't hold a power one, but it is, um, it is something I think we can see that God is doing something in his church. And I, I think you'd have to be able to recognize those patterns. Maybe the best way to explain this, Courtney is, um, you know, who John Perkins is John Perkins is the legendary rights leader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent some time at our church and of course where he is gifted is on this area of diversity and, um, multi-ethnic diversity. And, um, I asked him cause he's not a man who wants to compromise truth. I mean, he wants to, um, but he loves, he loves the church and he's, he's so gracious, but he said, um, I said something about our church, which has been growing a lot in multi-ethnic diversity. I said something about it becoming what, you know, like, like a place that is able to feel a lot more like heaven. And he cut me off. It was, it was like eighties. He said, no, he says, your church will not, will not do that. He said, um, he said, it's the churches you plant that will do that. Mm-hmm. And he said, but your church is necessary as a step along the way. Now I have a pretty young church. I mean, you know, I, the average age in our church is probably early thirties, you know, late twenties. So it's not like we're like, you know, but, but the, because of where we're coming from, we're going to, we're going to move that needle. Mm. And because we move that needle, the churches we plant are going to, are going to take it and maybe, you know, the rest of the way in this. I, I think some more thing would be true in this situation is that I, I'm, I'm sad that Beth no longer feels at home in our convention. I know that um, there are different people, maybe some listening to me that don't agree with how she um, used. Uh, she, she was complimentary, but they don't agree with how she, you know, she used and exercised that. And that's okay. The, the Baptist faith, the message is narrow enough that it keeps us unified on the essentials, complementarianism, but we, it, it's broad enough that there's healthy disagreement. If I told you everything that we did at our church, I'm sure there'd be some things to be like, well, I'm not sure I would do that or I would do more than that. Um, I'm sad that that somebody that 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 believes the Baptist faith message would not feel at home. Um, but I, I can say I can see the direction that the trends are going. I can see the leaders that God is raising up. Um, I, you know, one of the things I've been surprised at as president is the relative unity among rank and file Southern Baptists. The flip side of the surprise is how loud and disagreeable a handful of leaders are. I felt sometimes like it's like that scene in Wizard of Oz where you pull back the curtain and it's a, you know, scrawny little old man with a big voice. I'm like, wait, this huge voice was just you. Um, but the rank and file Southern Baptists are, man, they, they want this. They, they recognize what God is doing. Um, by, by 2030, I saw this, by, by 2030, um, over 30% of Southern Baptist churches will have been planted since 2010. Wow. And that just shows you that there is, there's a new thing God is doing. So I just want to say, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking some, um, some hits and some blows that um, I wish you'd have to take. I'm going to do my best to, to, to encourage you in that, but, but hang on, hang on, because it's, you know, we're, we're doing this for, I got three girls coming up and all of them have got a strong, got their mother's personality. And, uh, and I, I want them there to be a church that is complimentary where the office of elder and pastor is reserved for men and the functions thereof, but 
that there's place that recognizes and celebrates and develops their gifts and their value in the body of Christ. Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's super helpful. And I think that I, I like the example that you gave about John Perkins, because there is kind of a sense, I mean, you actually even see this in scripture where God calls people I mean, it's all over the Old Testament calls people to do things and, and they're not necessarily going to get to experience the the benefit of the fruit of that, you know, mm-hmm. but they're called to the hard things and it paves the way for other things. And I think um, that example, that is kind of in some ways what, you know, Beth was one of the first kind of women authors to do Bible studies. And now we have general, now we have all these women that have right. been raised up and they all have opportunities and Um, but it is just sad. So uh, kind of a follow-up to what you just said, if there are, you know, church leaders or pastors or whatever that are listening, or maybe that would be pointed to this conversation, how do you feel like the SBC or really even just individual entities, um, the SBC as a whole framework, but individual churches, how can, um, they be more intentional to kind of encourage and promote flourishing for women's giftings? You know, how have you done that in your church? I know you've given, you talked about how you guys have really grown in this area. So just, you know, how can we encourage, um, women that are, that love their pastors and they know that their pastors love them, but maybe are just kind of bearing with them right now. What are ways that pastors can, can serve women in this way? How can they be more intentional in this way? Yeah. Great question. Well, I think there's a lot of, of, of new authors that are coming out. I mean, Jen Wilkin, you brought her up. I, I thought, I mean, we actually brought her in um, just to share um, both some of um, she's again, she's a very convictional complementarian. There's not a, a shred of ambiguity in her about that. But um, what that means, what the other side of it is like, um, uh, their church has actually developed some good resources on that. Um, if it's helpful, I mean, our church, we have um, some, some documents. I, I, position papers sound so clinical, but they're more like statements of like, here's how the theology and here's what it means for us in application. We try to be clear of what the biblical principle is that's indisputable and what our applications are that you and your church may come up with something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some, uh, some, some, some good, healthy discussion around that. I, I think what you're doing here, Courtney is, is great. I mean, just some of the resources you mentioned at the beginning, I, I think that would give you a great um, starting point. So, um, you know, Jen, Elise Fitzpatrick that you brought on here. I mean, she's been so helpful to me um, in learning a lot of this, uh, a lot of this stuff. Um, uh, uh, Donna Gaines, um, you know, oh, yeah. uh, she's amazing. She's, she's uh, Steve Gaines, former president of the SBC. And that's a very, that's a landmark Baptist church or a, you know, a, a flagship uh, Baptist church. Um, and, you know, her understanding of these things have been really helpful. So I think there's a lot of people that can help, you know, um, facilitate that discussion. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks for answering that. Yeah, great. Thank you for answering that. I did want to mention just as a little throw out one of our, uh, our board members, Amy Whitfield, we're going to give a little shout out to her. She actually co-authored a book called um, SBC FAQs, A Ready Reference. If you're hearing all this and you possibly are a Southern Baptist or or not, but you are just like, what are they talking about? Um, <laughs> you can grab this book and it's going to answer all your questions. And it's even going to have the Baptist faith, the message in it that we've referenced. Um yep. So shout out to the Southern Baptist Convention president referenced that book. (laughs) It's in a different spot. Anyway, thank you, JD. Okay, we've got one more question, and then we're going to move into some questions that were submitted. And this last question I want to ask you is um, we kind of get to the end of your book, 
and you're so fired up and you're ready to just go out and be a missionary in whatever sphere you're in, and you talk about the go-to challenge, will you just inform our audience what that is? And we are actually going to provide a link for our Facebook crew uh, right there so they can click on the website, but love for you to share about that. Yeah, no. So that actually something that happened um, at our church. Uh, and with all these college students to come to our church, we realized that we had all these potential missionaries and church planners. And so we started to put out this vision for them of just saying like, hey, um, why don't you spend your first two years after you graduate? Why not, why not spend it with one of our church plants? Our church feels called to plant a thousand churches. Why don't you do that? And you're like, why two years? And I, honestly, I was like, well, it worked for the Mormons, you know? And so why don't we, you know, um, they teach a wrong gospel where if it works for works righteousness, maybe we should, we should, we could inspire people to something better with the true gospel. And so um, I, I was surprised, Courtney, at how fast it caught on mm. with our students. Um, we just sent out our 1400th member, 1400th member who has uprooted their life and left our church. Now, not all of those are college students. Um, some of them, as I'll mention in a moment, were retirees and people anywhere in between. But a lot of them were college students and young professionals who said, I want my life to count. Again, you got to you got to get a job somewhere. Why not get a job in a place where God's doing something strategic? Um, uh, we, 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 op- we begin to challenge normal people, uh, normal, like college students are normal people, but people <laughs> in their you know, 30s and 40s and, and retirees to say, hey, um, maybe God is going to have you uproot your life to be a part of a strategic church plant, whether domestically or internationally. Um, when I became president, after talking with the North American Mission Board and uh, Kevin Ezell there and Paul Chitwood at the International Mission Board, it just seemed something that would really fit the, the recruitment they were doing. So we opened up a go-to challenge, um, which is what does it look like if, I mean, just think about this for a minute, if the norm, if the expectation for Southern Baptist college students and young professionals to say, I want the kingdom of God to be the largest factor in where I pursue my career. What would, what would happen in our world if that happened? I mean, every, we know this, but every major awakening and every major missions thrust has come through college students and young professionals that begin to take the implications of the gospel seriously. So GoTo is simply a tool to do that. And um, if you go through that link, it can help get you connected to whether it's church plants in the United States or whether it's um, church plants overseas. There's a, there's a role where you can use your gifts in the body of Christ. And for some of you, it's about, about time you acted on that. Yeah, that's great. That's right. Okay. Well, we do have some questions that um, some women submitted online when they registered for this event. There were so many good ones. We wish we had time for all of them. And here's this one. I'm going to actually combine this one with another one we got, and maybe you can kind of double tag it on that. Um, okay, so a lot of Southern Baptist women are encouraged to get an education. You know, education is very valuable. We feel that as women. We go to seminary. I mean, you're looking at two graduates from a Southern Baptist seminary, okay? Um but then we get out of seminary and there are very few vocational jobs available to women within the, within Southern Baptist churches that would actually pay you. <laughs> and so how would, um, let me read the exact question. It seems challenging to encourage women to get equipped and then primarily expect us to volunteer. What can be done to address this issue? And here's the piggyback on some of the issues we've raised um, with the Beth Moore. Should, how should women 
bring up these concerns to their pastor. We want to be respectful of our leaders. We do respect our leaders. We love them. They shepherd us and give us the word, um, but we're ready to serve. And it feels like, you know, a workman is worth his wage as well. So how would you answer that? Yeah. So um, I, I understand it. And I, um, I wish I had a quick, easy answer and I wish I had the ability just to change it. But obviously that's, um, I don't, but I can, I can tell you what we did at our church. And if that's helpful, um, I think there's a mo- there's a, there's an example here that other churches might be able to, to profit from. Um, we went through our entire staff structure and asked which of these positions, the very nature of it is, is an elder and therefore it can only be done by men. And, and which positions are, have we just kind of lazily assumed a man would do? Mm-hmm. And I was a little alarmed as to how many positions that we didn't have like solid theology that said this has to be a man, but we're just mm-hmm. occupied by men just because, well, that's, you know, we just, we just assumed that. Hmm. And so each of them, we said, okay, we're going to, we're going to rewrite the job description or an alternate job description. Cause you could have, you know, different you know, ways of, of thinking about the job in ways that would not have that pastor or elder component to it. And, um, and so I, I don't know what the exact number is right now, but I know that for a lot of those positions and in, in very high levels, um, we've had a lot of women that began to rise and it creates a, a leadership culture that, I mean, the biggest the biggest, um, you know, the, I guess the biggest misunderstanding about a leadership culture is you think that as you're like, there's only a handful of leaders to go around and it's not true. Um, for every time you, you have a leader and you send them out, it's like, it's like they, they just kind of multiply and they, they draw other leaders. One of the reasons that our churches are not filled with great leaders, women leaders, because we haven't platformed them. I don't mean they're preaching like, you know, on Sunday, but I mean, we haven't platformed them and celebrated them and it hasn't called out to, to those. So unfortunately, I think in this, you got to start patiently and sometimes you start small sometimes even, and guys do this too sometimes, but you work in ways that you don't get recognized and paid and, and uh, just trust that as God is working in his church and, and things are changing that, that the difficulty that is in that question, that'll be addressed too. JD, when you made these changes, this was not part of the, I'm kind of going off the wire here. But when you made these changes, did someone approach you and say, Hey, why does it look like this? Or what, like what sparked you to have that conversation with your staff? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I, there wasn't one like, you know, um, you know, the prophet Nathan, thou art the man, you know, you've totally messed it up. It was probably a lot of those, but I think it was just lis- listening and, and I can't remember when the aha moment was. And so part of it was studying the Bible. Part of it was having um, an incredible wife. Part of it was having daughters. Part of it was seeing God raise up women and just kind of force going back and asking like, what have I assumed here and what's actually in the Bible? No, that's a really helpful answer because I think that as women who maybe are frustrated, you know, they're in situations, they might be frustrated by the pace and, and things like that. It's encouraging that the Holy Spirit does what he says he's going to do, you know, he corrects and he, um, you know, he, he is the one that's going to, to make the changes, whatever they need to be. And so it's helpful to hear that ultimately it's like the prayers of other people, conversations, but also like really just the work of the Lord. The fact that it's in you is proof that the spirit of God is doing it because it comes from him. 
Yeah. And so, you you know, Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord and he will bring it to pass. I'm like, Lord, I've got other things that are not, you know, just, but I'm like, Lord, this is, it doesn't seem to be getting any traction. I'm going to commit this to you and trust that if you put it in me, you didn't put it in me to frustrate. You did it because you, you are, you're planting seeds that are going to harvest in the church. Yeah. Gosh, that's really encouraging. When you're, when your church made that transition to incorporate some more females on staff or whatever ways you're speaking of, I mean, was there pushback or, or was it just a subtle shift? You know, how did that work out? Courtney, there's always pushback. (laughs) Um, I was hopeful. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I would say of of, of some of the the things that God has done, this one was relatively harmonious. And we took our time. We spent a lot of time writing it, got a lot of input, went through a lot of revisions of, are we thinking about everything? There were people, but I, I, I feel like because we were, we don't think of complementarianism at our church as like just a box to be checked and like, Oh, the mean, you know, Bible limits us, but we're trying God to, you know, we're like, no, this is a wonderful, beautiful part of creation. Yes. We celebrate complementarianism. And, um, and, and, and as we taught that it it actually helped give us freedom over in here to say, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to recognize that God has created sisters in Christ. And as with everything, I just spent some time teaching through it to the church and didn't, you know, didn't come in and preach one sermon and say, now everything's different. It was, it was about a, you know, year and a half, two year process, but to encourage you, it actually was one of the most harmonious things that we've done. Great. That will be, I, I feel like women will be really encouraged to hear that. All right, Courtney, you got one more question for us. I do. I have one more question. It's kind of a hard right turn, but I think that the heart of this question is something that is really important to women, especially in our community, women. We have a lot of women in our community that are perhaps single, widowed, divorced, you know, just from a whole kind of gamut that are that are providing income for their families. And so this is a question that we would just love to kind of hear your heart on. It says, I'm recently divorced. Can I still be involved in ministry? And what does scripture have to say about divorced women's roles in the church ministry? And she did clarify that she was in an abusive marriage. That's why she's divorced now. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no purity in any of us. There's no, um, except for the blood of Jesus. And uh, I mean, for divorce to be a disqualifying sin would mean Jesus didn't really die on the cross, you know, for that way. Um, And so, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, whoever's asking that question, you understand that God has a future for you and that God has gifts and he's not mistakenly put those gifts and dreams and desires in you. He has a role um, for you in the body of Christ and in his incredible way of grace, he's going to take that painful story, that painful chapter of your life, that, I mean, just tragic story. And he's going to, he's going to pour beauty into that and use that as a gift to other women and men for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you know, I mean, it's, I know that we, you know, in one sense, um, the heart of God was breaking while you were going through that abuse. In another sense, he takes that and he turns it for good. And there are are women that you're going to be able to minister to that, honestly, quite honestly, somebody like me can never, can never quite, can never quite communicate the gospel as effectively as you can speaking from that place of brokenness um, and healing. Um, there is a, um, a wrong understanding of divorce in the church that looks at it like it's the scarlet D that goes on your, and, you know, whether or not your, your divorce was, it sounds like in your case, you know, it was you, you being the victim, 
of something, or I mean, there might be somebody listening who looks back and says, no, I was kind of at fault in it. Um, there is forgiveness. And um, yeah, sin has consequences and, and uh, but there is forgiveness and God, um, be, he can make all things new. And every time in scripture, you see God speak to somebody, he is not pointing them as a prisoner to their past. He's pointing them to um, the opportunities that they have for their future. And um, God can use, God has a role for you. And it's probably something that will um, be more wonderful and um, more blessed than you could imagine, because it really is more blessed to give than to receive, even when you give from a place of brokenness and pain. Yeah, that was a great answer. Thank you for saying all that. That's really, really encouraging. Um, okay, do we have time for one? What you think we're maybe one more? Okay, I really want to ask this one because it was just submitted. <laughs> kind of another hot, a hot seat one. Um, okay. It says I'm transitioning from an egalitarian upbringing to a complementarian church. My husband and I were both formally ordained as pastors. So it's a huge transition, but it's one that I'm open to, and I'm excited to learn more about. So what are your, well, I'll limit it. What are your top three recommended readings, um, or speakers that you would recommend to her? Well, I already mentioned Jim Wilkin. I think she's a good one. Um, I think, uh, Kathy Keller, quite honestly, um, is a really good one. I think, uh, I can't remember, but, I mean, it's in the book meaning of marriage, um, that her and, and, uh, but he's got one of the best, he and she together have one of the best explanations of this. Um, let's see who else. I mean, um, I mean, just sometimes it's, it's, this is not so much on the practical, but there are, um, there are just some, you know, your, uh, some of your classic reformed theologians can help you understand at least the basics of why, of, of why complementarianism, why it doesn't communicate inferiority. And, you know, I mean, no theologian's perfect, obviously. Um, uh, Wayne Grudem's, you know, his, his Bible doctrines book is, and his systematic theology, can at least, you know, walk you through the scriptures in that. Between those three, that would give you a good handle on the scope of, of the questions that are being asked and then, and then, you know, explore where, where you see scripture taking you on that. Okay. Yeah. Those are great answers. Okay. Well, thanks for being with us tonight. Okay. I was personally just to go back to the book. I was so challenged by the book. I mean, I was sitting in a coffee shop <laughs> reading the last two chapters of this book, like weeping <laughs> um, because and she's just crying, telling me the end. Cause I hadn't read the end yet. And then of course I get there and we're just <laughs> having a <laughs> I mean, there's this one story in there about suffering just for the sake of the gospel with the woman that had been diagnosed with breast cancer and her surgeon comes to know the Lord. I'm just like the Lord, God is just good. Um, so it was really convicting for me and it just really, I mean, I feel like it helped me re-examine areas in my own life that I need to be more intentional and I need to be more faithful in the areas and, and just a better steward of the platforms that God has given me with my neighbors and my friends. And so we're really thankful that you, um, got to talk to us tonight, but also just that you wrote the book. I think it's going to be so encouraging for women who, I think it's going to be really inspiring for women to just, I, it like lit a fire in me. It's just like, man, this is urgent. This is like actually really urgent. Um, and so I found it to be really, really helpful. So we're just really thankful that you were obedient and that you wrote this book. That means great deal to me. I'm very, very honored. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe and leave a review for this podcast. 
Check out our show notes for links to any resources mentioned in this episode. Also, Women in Work released our first ever book, Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work. Be sure to order your copy today. You can find more information about the book on our website. If you enjoy this type of content, we would be honored if you would consider supporting the work and mission of this organization. You can become a monthly donor or give a one-time gift. Any gift received will be stewarded to continue the work of inspiring, encouraging, and equipping women to leverage their giftings for God's kingdom. Thank you for your support.